Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources, so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and then found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise. And I love to say that, and I'm wishing my good friend up in Canada a big warm hug because it's pretty nippy up there. And it's a gorgeous day down here in Florida. We had winter last week. Actually got down into the low 40s, maybe upper 30s, and then it quickly warmed up, and so it was really lovely. But today, the sun is shining in my window, and it's gorgeous, and I'm coming to you from South Florida, and my guest is coming to us from Chesapeake Bay of Maryland. A friend that I have not met in person, I have a lot of them these days, but she comes to me through my friend Keith Jowers, and Keith and I had an excellent show months ago, and you've got to go and and listen to him. He is my officer-friendly friend, and uh, works with children, and said, Deb, you have got to get connected to Celia. So Ms. Celia Kibler, are you there? I am. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad you're here with me today. And you've got an extraordinary background in parenting. And it comes from, a lot of it comes from experience. And I love this part about being a mom of five, birthing two, raising five, eight or nine grandchildren now, right? Where are we now? Nine. Yep. Nine grandchildren. Lots of them. They're amazing. You got me beat by five. But how fun is that? You've been parenting in a blended family for over 24 years, 25 years. Bless your heart. Actually, 26 now. We hit another another anniversary. Well, that's wonderful. 26 years. I was married um, to Lou 26 years, and he passed away. And then I was able to get remarried, and that's been fun. But the blending family, that's a challenge in itself. Celia, um, I I don't usually do anybody's background because we're going to talk about that. And we're going to start with... Where did you grow up, and what was your family life like? Well, thank you for asking. And I had a very, um, for the most part, wonderful childhood. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. I lived just outside of Baltimore, Maryland. I have not journeyed far from my home. Uh, But I grew up with two wonderful parents that were married for 70 years until my mom passed four years ago yesterday, and my dad passed almost two years ago. And my father was an amazing human, all about uh, doing things that impacted humanity. 
and yet he was the yeller in the family, and he was the one that came from an abusive childhood, but brought the mental abuse, the, you know, high anger, the quick to yell and, you know, jump at people, the walking on eggshells feeling to our family. And, and mostly to my mom. So even though kids see that and they're like, well, he's not yelling at me, he might as well be yelling at you because that's the feeling of the home. But he's a wonderful man and he regretted it to the day he died. He died at 92 and we would still have conversations about how he was, he regretted so much, you know, yelling and calling names and all of that and my mom was the peacemaker and she was just a beautiful woman who was accepting and loving to all um education was important our spiritual life was important and family was the ultimate importance well it sounds loving i heard you talking about your dad and um my father's 92 and so my mom's 87 and I and I I grew up with a dad who was very quiet. We had very few words. I we we knew he loved us, and he's funny. But as he's gotten older, he's learned how to really use his voice, and he's just hysterical. <laughs> but rarely, if ever, did I hear him raise raise his voice. And I grew up with that. And now to hear him kind of get upset, or my mom will say, "Dad's yelling at me." I'm thinking. He's really not. He's just raising his voice a little <laughs> bit. But given the fact that he was so quiet over the years, it, it does make a difference. But it just makes us laugh. And I'm like, okay, time out. Time out for both of right. you. <laughs> and, uh, and I can understand about dads that they, if the dynamic was loud, I mean, when I got remarried, I met CJ's dad. And their family grew up very loud. And, and, of course, I didn't grow up with that. And when I was visiting one day, he and, and CJ, my husband, had gotten into it over something. And it was just like big blowout. And then it was, for them, it was over. But he called me up and he goes, Deb, we need to talk. And I said, okay. He said, I just need to, you to understand that this is how our family rolls. We're very open, direct. We get out what we think we want and it's over with. And I'm sitting there going, aren't you guys going to apologize to each other? <laughs> you know? It was really tough, but that's the way they grew up, and they and they understood it. But I could see miscommunication between them and me. You know, if someone had done that to me, I would hide. I was like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Or you know, not good enough right. for them. You know. So it's interesting how families and, and when your dad got older and you had that conversation with him, he said that he felt bad about it. But is there anything that he could have done differently? He could have become more intentional about it and he could have gotten help for it if he couldn't control it on his own. I will say as he got older, he was better at controlling it. My mom passed at 88 and when she was 86, she got bulbar ALS, which is ALS for older people. Mm -hmm. And it was... I. I think that was a big wake-up call for him. I mean, he literally sat by her side holding her hand for two years practically. And to the point where I think my mom would have been like, why don't you go out and have a nice lunch? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he, 
they, he was so committed to my mother and she was his world and, and they were really truly in love with each other. But he, when he, his, my mom and him got together, he had physical abuse growing up and he told her, I will never physically abuse, abuse someone. He never did physically abuse any of us, but the shouting, the yelling, the calling my mom stupid, his, his inability to, to really take control over that was, was hard for him. And he needed help to get it, but he was the type of person that was like, he's very intelligent. He was, you know, a, um, a, just a brain power. And of course, he felt like he knew everything. So what could somebody help him with? How did this affect your mom? And did she ever talk about it? Yes. And when we were teenagers, she actually contemplated leaving him. And her doctor told her, this is the way he is. And he's not changing. And you have to decide either you're going to stay with him and accept him for what he is, or you're going to leave. That Basically, that's the two decisions and she chose to stay and but it made her you could tell the older my mom got she was hesitant to speak up hesitant to you know ripple the waves you know she she always said that it was like walking on eggshells around Mm -hmm. my dad although my dad always loved us unconditionally and always had our backs all of our backs and we always knew that and she knew that and he truly loved her but her growing up around him she became codependent she allowed herself for most of her life to be what people refer to as a doormat and for us children that I have two sisters and a brother the three of them became very combative. And my father always thought that he and I got along great, which we did. But the reason he thought that was because he would start yelling and I would leave. So I became the peacemaker. And the reason my first marriage fell apart was because I became so non-confrontational. And I mm. wouldn't even, my, my first husband and I were married for 15 years. We had one fight one argument in 15 years because I would avoid it. Uh, I'm sitting here as, as speechless because I, I've heard myself say I don't like contention. And I didn't speak up either in all the years. I loved Lou dearly. Again, he brilliant, big guy. Um, grew up with a uh, dad especially who was abusive. Mom who was mentally, I think, nasty and unstable sometimes, but then loving and another. So there was a whole lot of dysfunction, dynamic, dysfunctional dynamics going on there. Um, but I didn't like the contention. And when the kids got a little bit older, the boys especially, and, and they would get into it with, with their dad, you know, I didn't speak up. And I, as a parent, you wonder, did I, did I protect the kids enough? I mean, I kind of let it feel like it was going to go over. It wasn't, it was just short. It wasn't um, physical abuse. It was more yelling. You know, that's that, because Lou was not going to be physically abusive. But the yelling and, uh, and I always, I always felt like I needed to protect the kids. And I actually did later on um, 
you know, went up to them and, and I was the protector. And peacemaker, yeah, but I was the protector. And and that's a tough position to be in, you know, especially for all those years. Um, and it's brought up a lot of a lot of memories in me. And uh, the kids are doing great now, but you know, in the next generation, this is where we're going to start talking about the next generation and our our kids raising our grandchildren. And and I want to jump exactly. into that now because as a grandparent, parenting is different today, I think, than it was when we parented. Can you explain what you see going on? And I I hear it a lot. I'll I'll hear things like you can't parent your children today like you parented or your grandparents parents or your parents parented. And my reply to that is actually yes you can but you need to be more cooperative many parents today and i was just talking to one of my clients last night about this they want their children to always be happy and yes we all want our children to be happy we love and adore our children of course we want them to be happy but if you spend their childhood making sure that everything goes their way you are doing them a disservice and they will ultimately become an unhappy adult because welcome to life when things don't go your way. Mm-hmm. And if you lead them to believe that, well, every, everything's going to work out for them, no matter the effort they put into it, everything will be successful because they have learned this. They're going to go to college. They're going to grow up to be human human beings that are adults and they're not going to be confident they're not going to be self-sufficient they're not going to be uh feel worthy of anything because there's so much disappointment going on and around them and that's when people turn to substance abuse and self-harm and even you know suicide has become so prominent because Although this is a very simple, broken down reason, they don't know how to handle disappointment. They don't know how to do it, so they drink it away, or they do drugs, or they, they're like, this life is not what I thought it would be, and so it's over. And parents have to become intentional with the way they raise their children. Limits and boundaries exist. They exist in the world. They should exist for your children. Consequences for choices exist in the world. They should exist for your children. And being a cooperative, peaceful parent, which is what I teach my clients to be and the general population that sees me or reads my book, doesn't mean you're their friend. I always get that question. So we have to be friends. No, you actually don't have to be friends. You have to be a parent. You have to be a coach, a mentor, a teacher someone who actually guides them to be a perfect, not a perfect, a wonderful, productive, contributing adult. That's my tagline in Pumped Up Parenting, because we're raising adults, not children. It's difficult, I think. Well, when I, I had the pleasure, and it was a pleasure, of being able to stay home with the kids for the first 11 years of my youngest life. Um, so I was with I was home as a, a stay-at-home mom for many many years. I don't. 
when I when I am with my kids now, you know, all the parents are working, moms and dads and single parents in the family, and it's it's very difficult. They they are so stressed when they leave the house in the morning, and stressed when they get home in the afternoon, that you can feel it. And and it's do you right. have any tips for how do you how do you start a stress free morning? Well, and you know that's a great question because it is so true because. Stress, of course, leads to irritability, which leads to yelling. And if you start your morning yelling at each other, how can any of you possibly have a good day? You can't. You go to school, you're like so irritated at what just happened, you're not even listening to your teachers. You go to work, you're irritated already, and you get more irritated at what's going on at work. Your morning, first of all, so often people will be like, well, my son needs to be out the door by 7.30. So, you know, I'll get him up at 7.10. of 20 minutes, get dressed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Except what that does is it creates rushing. Rushing around is stressful. So kids need to get up, first of all, an hour before they need to go out that door. And you need to get up at least a half hour before your kids so you can get yourself together. And then all you have to do is worry about the kids. Plus, preparing the night before is key. Everything. Get the book bags together. Get the lunches together. Everything that you can prepare for the night before, do it. And have it ready so that when you walk out that door at 5 of 8, when you have to be out of that house at 8, all they have to put on is their coat and grab a backpack and their lunch should be in the backpack when you you start getting ready for breakfast. I mean, it starts in the refrigerator and then it goes into the backpack so that walking out that door, there's not a lot. In fact, when they get dressed, make sure they have their shoes on because shoes are always an issue where it's rushing and parents are getting irritated because it's taking so long to put on their shoes. That's, that's a true statement. But routines are golden for kids. All kids, all adults' routines are golden. So get a great morning routine going and be consistent with it. Same in the afternoon, you know, because you're, now you're coming home and yes. it's been a busy day. And I've, I've found sometimes, too, with, with the, the, not necessarily my kids, but that generation, the kids that are raising our grandchildren now, they want to do everything, too. They, want, they, they feel they have to get the kids enrolled in, in sports and in music and in all these extra things. We add that to they've been in the daycare or in school for 12 hours. What is that doing to our, to our family life when we're so programmed? It's making everyone crazy. <laughs> when you overschedule, it is stressful. You're only adding more stress onto stress. Kids do not need to have an activity every single afternoon. You do not need to entertain your children 24-7. That is not your job. And in fact, if you are eliminating their downtime or even their time to work on homework where they don't feel rushed, again, you are not helping them. We all need downtime. We all need time to just sit. Think of when you're just sitting, you're driving in a car, you're taking a shower, and like a great idea comes into your head because you're not rushing and you don't have a million things going on. Everybody 
needs downtime. The human brain itself needs downtime. It is proven that when the human brain takes breaks, it is much more active and able to absorb information after a break and not constantly focusing and running on a million different things. Well, downtime today, I feel, is different than downtime we're dating ourselves when we were kids because we would go out and play or go upstairs and read a book. Right. How do you feel about downtime with electronics? So electronics are, are part of our life, our everyday life. However, electronics should not rule your life. You know, you asked about raising children then when we were parents with our own children, not grandparents. And it is still important to raise a child that is diversified, that is polite, well-mannered, respectful, and is able to learn and do skills they need in life. So, for example, and I bring this up a lot because it's the perfect relative example of electronics and gaming, my son was a gamer from the time he came out of the womb. He is now 33 years old. But he always loved to play video games. And he grew up playing video games. It was his passion. I always encouraged it. I didn't downplay it because he loved it. But it was part of his daily schedule. He wasn't allowed to come home, get on those video games, and play until midnight. He probably would have loved to do that. Mm -hmm. He does that now, I'm sure. But he had chores. He had to be outside. He had meals. He had homework. He had various responsibilities of life during that day, which may have left a half hour of video game play or an hour, depending on the day. And he grew up and he went to college and he got a degree in video gaming and he went to work for one of the biggest video game companies um, anywhere. And he met his wife there and they are happy little video gamers. And she's a video game. They're like the female and male opposite of each other. But I didn't discourage it. I always encouraged it. I would sit down and ask him, tell me how to play this. But it was part of his daily schedule. It was not his entire daily schedule. And that's where people go wrong. They put electronics. They won't eat. So there's a, there's a tablet there. They, they go to the bathroom, there's a tablet there. They sit and everybody's sitting around on their phones. They go to a restaurant, there are tablets. We didn't have tablets. We no. went to a restaurant and we actually spoke to each other and laughed and had fun. We went on a card trip. We sang songs. We played card games. We did not, everybody had a cell phone. There were no cell phones. So, you know, we had to occupy ourselves by actually communicating and connecting with the other people in our family. And what happens in electronics and screens and the constant use of them is your family becomes very disconnected and you're, scrounged, you're scrounging around for a way to relate to your teenager now because you haven't related to them for five years. My, my daughter is very... Um restrictive on when the kids can can watch 
watch games and she's very she's a teacher by trade but she feels like you know what this is not what I want them to be doing they can read they can play games they can do this they go to their dads and it's 24 7 on the TV and when they come back it's this back and forth you know learning one thing at one house and one thing at another house and and it's very frustrating when they right. come home because then mom's the bad the bad person because she doesn't let them watch games all day well and that's the problem too that's you know a huge issue with blended families and of course you know as we said earlier i've been parenting a blended family successfully for 26 years and part of the thing that parents have to understand when your children travel to diff two different households is that you have to focus on your home you have no control over that other household you could talk to each other and go yes we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and hang up the phone, and they do the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. So your focus has to be on your home, what your expectations are in your home, talk with your children, get suggestions on how you can make this family work together, but they will know that they go to one house, it's like this, and they go to the other house, it's like this, it won't play as much against one another. They just learn. In my home, we always use our manners. Always. That's the way it is. We don't cuss. We don't act aggressively toward people. Totally different than my three stepson's mother's home. But when they walk through those doors on the weekends, sometimes we had to rediscuss it and remind. But overall, they, you know, after a while, they would swing into what was expected in our home and start speaking in a calmer, cooperative, more respectful way because mm -hmm. that was the expect expectation in our house. Exactly true, and I, and I understand that part. Um, I think the difficulty that I had myself was when I would hear one of the kids yelling back at the parent and not listening and then it turns into a temper tantrum and everything I'm thinking oh my gosh what are the neighbors gonna think <laughs> it didn't really matter what the neighbors <laughs> thought <laughs> but it was it was because I didn't grow up around a loud home um, and yelling especially the kids yelling back at me part of me really got upset and said you're not being respectful and I wanted to say stop but that wasn't my place although I did I got down right in their eyes and I was like you have to listen and that's tough when they when because you know we're and this is where it cracks me up when you're said you're not talking to a, you know an, an adult you're talking to a five-year-old and you have to remember that we're talking to kids babies and I loved what you said exactly. and where, where was it that um, oh children have these undeveloped brains they're not doing these things to hurt you that's just their way of expressing and that's that's their their energy coming out and it's just like you want to throttle them sometimes so how do you deal with that as a exactly do you take a time out you're exactly right the human brain doesn't finish developing till 25 years old so if you have a six-year-old there's a long way that child has to go to get a fully developed brain and how does it develop from you teaching them uh, the initial brain that's put in our child's head to simplify and not go into deep science is full of emotions, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> they have lots of emotions. They're happy. They're angry. They're, they're wild. They're, you know, there's all these flipping of switches going on in their brain. 
And then their subconscious mind reacts to it. And when a child has a tantrum, it is literally the subconscious mind reacting to his or her disappointment or you saying no or you taking away something. And the reaction is a tantrum, hitting, biting, you know, throwing, whatever the reaction is. It is our job as parents to teach them how to deal with that emotion, not erase the emotion, acknowledge the emotion. I know you're mad, but we cannot buy a toy for you in the store. Right now we're buying a toy for Jimmy. And Jimmy's going to have a toy, but I can take a picture of that toy and put it on your wish list. So when people ask me what they want, what you want, I have a picture to give them. And it is important to understand that their emotions are legitimate, uh, generational. How many parents used to say to their kids, stop crying or I'll give you a reason to cry? That is a threat. Because basically it means I'm going to smack you and then you will be in so much pain that you will have a reason to cry. Well, the truth is that child has a reason to cry. Why? Because they're crying. And you may not agree with the reason because usually you've told them no or they got disappointed some way, but it's still a reason. And we have to understand that when that happens, let the situation calm down Talking them out of a tantrum is only going to escalate it because their brain is so focused on tantrum, it cannot listen to what you're saying and it makes it even get worse, makes it get worse. And so you need to let the tantrum calm down by you taking a break and walking away if it's irritating you or just sitting it out or distracting them. You could play music and start dancing and they'll be like, oh, somebody's having fun. I'm going to stop crying. But you have to let it ride its own storm so that the next switch that is flipped in their brain is one of calm. And then when things have calmed down, that's when you approach them and say, okay, I know you were upset. I know you were disappointed that you had to get off your tablet, whatever the reason. But it's time to eat dinner and blah, 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 whatever the story is. And that's when you discuss when things are calm because we all know that yelling matches accomplish nothing. And if you're yelling at your child, you're teaching them to yell. Everything you do, you give your children permission to do, good or bad. Whatever it is, you are giving them permission. So people are like, well, my child's hitting I'm going to spank them. Well, that makes absolutely zero sense because now you've hit them. So you're giving them permission to hit somebody else. Mm -hmm. But for tantrums, they happen because it is an unconscious move on the part of the brain. It is a reaction. They continue to happen for one reason only, and that is because you give in and they work. As long as they're working, they will continue to happen. I'm sitting here bobbing my head. That is true, and I wish I had heard this before I'd gone on the last trip because I was tired, and it just it had rubbed me so wrong, and, and that, that's true. You can't talk it out, and it just escalates. You know, they get louder, you get louder, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, is this going to end? Right. And then you get another child involved, and, and then, you know, I love how the little one will, will start mimicking, and then the older one says, she's copying me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Right. 
And it just makes me laugh because it's, this is a learning process. And as adults, we do the same thing. I mean, I'm not a yeller. Like I said, you're not a yeller. Um, but there are times you get frustrated. So how, how do you teach kids to use their voice in a positive manner? By being the role model of using your voice in a positive manner. If you smile when you talk, you can always hear a smile. As you're listening, you know I'm smiling. If I was not smiling, I would be grumpy and sound like this. You know if you've talked to a customer service representative and they sound like they're having the most miserable day on the planet, they are not smiling. But you talk to somebody, they're like, good morning. How can I help you? You can always hear a smile. So when you're talking to your kids, smile when you talk. And another fun little tidbit, listeners, is if your children come whining at you, say, I'd love to hear what you, ha- you have to say. Please say it with a smile. There's nothing more humorous than watching a toddler or a child try to whine and complain with a smile on their face. And half the time they get frustrated and walk away, which is good I because you probably didn't want to hear whatever they were complaining about. But I you use manners. Well-mannered children come from well-mannered parents. You be the example of calm. If you approach a situation that is going on with siblings and they're fighting over, if you approach it calmly, they will settle down and start speaking calmly. If you approach it aggressively, you're name-calling, you're cussing, you're doing whatever you, you do in, without thought, that's exactly how your children will be. And that's how they will learn to communicate to each other. If you and your spouse are always yelling and screaming and cussing and name-calling, you are teaching your child what a normal relationship is for them. For them, that's normal, and that's how they will react with siblings, other students, coworkers, their love relationships in the future. They learn everything from you. Do you think at some point, though, they're just, they're just trying to get your attention and Negative attention is better than no attention? Absolutely. Attention is attention for your children. Good attention, bad attention, it's all attention. So if you're not consistently giving them positive attention, you're not taking the time 10 minutes out of your day. This is not like, oh, I have to play with my child for four hours. No, we all have stuff to do. But if you spend 10 minutes one-on-one doing something to connect with your child, that will help them deal and, and they will actually play even better independently when that happens because they're not always yearning for your attention. When, you, when a child does something wrong and you go in there and you scream and yell at them, but for a half hour while you were on the phone, they were wonderful and they don't hear from you until they yell, that's when kids believe that everything they do is wrong mm-hmm. because when they're right and they're doing good, Nobody says anything. So that's another key in the process is you have to start recognizing when your kids are being good and doing the behaviors that you want them to do. Compliment them. Praise them. Say, hey, guys, I really appreciate you being so quiet and playing so nicely together while I was on the phone. Thank you so much. Hey, how about we all play a game together for 10 minutes? I have heard my, my daughter and my daughter-in-law are really good at, at making compl- you know, complimenting the kids on doing that well or doing that well. And uh, it's, it's just a, it's an up and down thing, and it's, it's, it's life. 
I love how you say, you know, you're growing another one of you. Look in the mirror. And so if the kids are yelling, it's because you're right. yelling. And the other thing I heard you say, too, is that most parents that do yell feel bad about it afterwards. What, what's that all about? Absolutely. I have, yeah, I'm on a mission to stop a million parents from yelling at their kids, and I talk to a lot of parents about why they yell and how they feel when they yell. And we all know that kids don't feel great. Nobody likes to be yelled at. You don't like to be yelled at at work. Kids don't like to be yelled at. But the parent, I have never met a parent yet, and I've dealt with a lot of parents in 40 years, that likes it when they yell at their kids, that likes the way that feels. They always feel like a bad parent. They always think they are doing their children wrong. They always are like, I wish I knew a better way. When I ask parents why they yell, I get two answers. One is I don't know any other way because they were raised with that behavior and that's what they learned. This is how you parent a child. You yell and scream. The other is, well, I start out nicely and I ask them, Three times, and by the time I hit the fourth time, and they're still not doing it, I'm screaming. And that, the problem actually in that scenario, which mostly everybody believes as a parent, is not that you're yelling. The problem is you're asking your child to do something over and over and over again when you should only have to ask them once and have them do it. And I know listeners are going, oh, yeah, right. How do we do that? Well, that's what I teach parents. How you do that you have to have you have to have integrity you have to do what you say you're going to do so if you're like you have to come off your tablet or I'm going to take it away and you say that three more times clearly your child does not believe you're going to take it away because there's it's never leaving so you have to be integrity you have to be a person of integrity you have to do what you say you're going to do you have to follow through you have to be consistent. Consequences are not meant to punish. They are meant to teach children and adults to make better choices. When there is so much out there, you still have to set an example. You still have to set an expectation of what is spoken and done in your home. And you can't allow things to be done in your home and then complain when your child acts that way or talks that way when they go out into the world. Because if you, if you allow your child to hit you, you give them permission to hit anybody. Mm. If you allow them to speak aggressively and without, you know, with the use of certain words, they're going to speak like that regularly. My children, because I don't cuss very much, if I cuss, and they're all in their 30s, my daughter turns 40 this year, which is amazing. Um, but if I cuss, <laughs> they text each other. You won't believe what mom said. Mom, <laughs> to this day, they text each other. If I, I'm like, you don't have to text each other. Oh, yes, we do. But that's because I didn't allow it in the homes. However, they will be quick to point out, and I'm going to say this on the air, that they cuss, even though I never did. But the difference is they don't, if they're using a cuss word in a sentence, and they all do, it's never aggressively. Hmm. It's, it's, it's just part of the sentence. And it, it is not 
and it is not a regular occurrence. I can spend a whole day with my kids and not a cuss word to be heard. But it's not that they don't cuss, but they never do it aggressively and meanly to another person. So whatever the word is used, and sometimes they'll use it, and then they'll find their child will say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a, the funny story about that is uh, <laughs> my, when my grandson walked into a Jersey Mike sub shop, and he was just four, he walks in and he goes, Jersey Mike's, they make some pretty damn good subs. <laughs> and my daughter's <laughs> like, what? <laughs> And I guess my son-in-law must say that about something. That's funny. And, and and then the other problem is it's funny. So so you laugh at it, and then it becomes like a thing, like it's a game. But, you know, they're going to hear it, and they're going to learn it. But the idea is, once again, you have to have limits and boundaries. You have to put them in place. And in this home, we don't speak that way. Yeah. My kids grew up with me saying, um, oh, marshmallows or sugar. I, I never swore at the house either. <laughs> and, and I've talked about this on other broadcasts too, is that when you are, when you have, are, are careful about the way you speak, people understand that's how you are. And when you walk in, in business, you walk into a room and the language might have been salty. And you walk in, and when I used to walk in, it would stop. It was very respectful of me. When right. I walked in, and especially when I was in the Air Force, I, I really love that. And I find that my husband is, uh, is a contractor, and they get pretty salty. And the guys will be, will be sitting in the car, and exactly. there will be a speakerphone, and, and he'll go, my wife's with me. Okay, we'll be careful. <laughs> and they watch their language. So <laughs> people know, you know, but the kids need to be trained that, that what is what is correct and what is not. And many kids aren't. You know, they're growing up around some really lousy language. Yeah. And, uh, you know, school is tough in school because you want to be respectful to the teacher, but it's not always there. So I love what you're doing. And how are you trying to, to get a million parents to stop from yelling? Is there a national not, not yelling day or well, something? No, but there is an International Day of Calm that I am starting, and it is actually coming up very soon. It's April 5th, and it is in honor of the day my father passed away because he was such a good man to the world and to us, but yet he always felt mediocre. And you can read the story on the About section at dayofcalm.org. But he always felt mediocre because when you constantly yell at kids and you're constantly aggressive to kids, you destroy their self-worth. And this man that did these amazing things for the world, he was part of the team that puts airplane seatbelts into cars. Mm. Him and his three buddies at Cornell University did the first installation of airplane seatbelts into automobiles. And that impact alone is you know, unmeasurable. But it is for somebody that did things like that to always feel mediocre. He always just said, well, anybody could do that. But anybody didn't do that. You did that, Dad. And, And that's what yelling and aggression does to a child. It makes them feel 
unworthy. It makes them feel uh, lack confidence, lack self-esteem, makes them feel like everything they do is wrong, and it makes them second-guess themselves the rest of their lives, all from yelling at kids. And I'm not talking about occasionally we get irritable and we come home and we yell by accident and then we apologize. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a family that is consistently parented by yelling. And you have to be willing to learn better ways. I do it through free challenges, workshops, um, the International Day of Calm. Like I said, April 5th right now, I would just like everybody to pledge to stay calm for 24 hours. And it's not even 24 hours because part of that is sleep. And to pledge it, you go to imcom2.com, the number two, I-M-C-A-L-M, number two, dot com, C-O-M. And that's where you do the pledge. And you will get 15 tips on how to stay calm. So it can help you to stay calm in your life and on April 5th. And I do believe if we could get everyone to just be intentional about the way they react, become conscious of the way they're connecting to somebody else, we can change the world. And we can create a generation of people that actually are thoughtful, that actually think before they act and react, that actually decide to make choices based on the best, most productive way of doing something. I think we can change the world. And then, of course, I have private coaching, group coaching. I have my Tranquility Tribe. And I have my book, Raising Happy Toddlers, How to Build Great Parenting Skills and Stop Yelling at Your Kids. And that book I wrote like a manual. You know how parents always say there's no manual for children. Mm -hmm. So I wrote one. So now you have a manual. Get it. You can go to celiasbooks.com. I have three children's books on there. And Raising Happy Toddlers just came out in Spanish. So you got a manual. Get it. Read it. Everything you, you have, for the most part, that happens in a day-to-day life with a child, there's a successful, cooperative, peaceful solution for well, and I, I actually got it. When I set up your interview, I got the book, sent it to my kids, and I'm like, you guys, this is not a judgment on your parenting skills. This is just suggestions from another mom coach. And, and I, 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 I'm looking forward to talking to them about, you know, did they have a time to sit down and read it? Because I think it's wonderful. And it's all about being a lifelong learner. And, you know, you, you interviewed a gal in Nigeria, Wendy, and... Um, she said something about reparenting, retraining yourself. Parenting is about you, not the child. You have to retrain yourself, reform yourself. And that's true. Absolutely. It, it yeah, comes you have us, to be though. willing to learn a better way and understand there is a better way. There actually is. And children, I, I always hear, well, I'm, I'm going to send my three-year-old to the psychiatrist. And why? Well, because he's yelling and he's angry and this and this and this. I'm like, that is on you. That little three-year-old brain is learning everything. He didn't come equipped with all of that, that you know, understanding of anger. Their brains do not have logic. They do not have self-regulation. They do not have reasoning. They cannot respond to you as an adult it is not just difficult, it's impossible. 
And it's really important to understand that. Well, I appreciate what you're doing. So April 5th is International Day of Calm. This is not just for kids. This is for all of us because I think the world has gone nuts. So it's dayofcalm.org. I agree. (laughs) Right, yeah, dayofcalm.org. And then pledge it at iamcalm2, the number 2.com. I'm calm2, I am. Right, imcom2.com. This has been lovely for me. It's made me laugh. It's made me think of, of my kids and my grandkids and how you know the best of us can become better. And it's just one step at a time. And uh, I appreciate Absolutely. what you're doing. I appreciate everything that you're doing and uh, look forward to getting this word out, especially April 5th, International Day of Calm. I think the whole world needs to take a moment to pause. Just pause. I do, too, and thank you, Debbie, so much for having me. I'm honored. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfoteaming products at BenfoComplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.